This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Sarah Fry, President and CEO of Fry Farms. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance, supporting America's sugar producers and saluting all of agriculture for continuing to feed America. Illinois farmer Sarah Fry was recently awarded the Woman in Produce Award by the United Fresh Produce Association. As a young farm girl from Illinois, her early aspirations were to find a life beyond the family farm. As it turns out, her ambition led her back home to build a business for her and her family. Today, Fry Farms is a certified woman-owned business. My mom would buy watermelons and cantaloupes from farmers in southern Indiana out of the Wabash River Valley, what's known as the famous Posey County Melons. She would deliver those melons to small grocery stores. She had a a route of about 12 stores, and when I was a little girl, I really loved going with her on that delivery route because it was actually my chance to get off of the farm. And when I was little, I had zero interest in staying in agriculture. I grew up in southern Illinois on a small 80-acre farm, a struggling farm, and I really felt like, you know, ag was not going to be in my future. I loved the land. I loved living in the country, but I also loved getting away. And so that summer delivery route was my way of sort of getting off the farm. I enjoyed it so much, and then um, when I was a teenager, I actually ended up buying a, the family truck and, you know, taking the family farm truck and then buying my own truck and taking over her route when she went to work for a radio station. And then I expanded that delivery route to about 150 grocery stores. And I started working with more farmers to get more fruit to support that delivery business. That was kind of the inception of what we now know as Fry Farms. And uh, I was the youngest of several children. As I grew the business, my four older brothers came home to join me and and support me in the growing business because they had all left home and, you know, gotten off the farm themselves in hopes of building a better future. There really wasn't anything at the time to support the livelihoods of five kids. As they came home, we started growing the business and Some of the growers that we worked with in southern Indiana were older, and they had children that had left the farm as well and really didn't have the desire to come back and and do the same thing that they had grown up with. So we kept most of those farmers through retirement but also bought some of those farms, and that's when I started buying up land and farms back in probably the mid to late 90s in southern Indiana and started growing the business. So Fry Farm started actually in southern Illinois slash southern Indiana and the Wabash River Valley. And then as we grew our core business, because, you know, as you know, domestic fruit and vegetable production is very seasonal. So as we grew the business, we looked at different ways to expand the growing seasons which led us into other states in the south and in the southeast. So we expanded beyond southern Illinois and southern Indiana into southeastern Missouri in the, in the boot hill of Missouri and then on down into Georgia and then from Georgia down into Florida. So today, Fry Farms, we own and operate farms and facilities in seven states 
Illinois, Indiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, and West Virginia. So we have actually, your audience is probably familiar with one of the locations. It's actually West Virginia, but it's only a little over an hour outside of Washington, D.C., up in the panhandle of West Virginia near a little town called Shepherdstown. So that's sort of the size and and scope of our business today, Um, what started almost 30 years ago, what it has grown to uh, to this point. And up until this point, and really up until COVID, all of our business has been direct to retailers. So the commodities that we grow are like watermelons, cantaloupes, pumpkins. We're probably best known as the nation's largest pumpkin farm. And sweet corn, we're growing tomatoes, we've grown peppers, lots of hard winter squash and um just really, a, uh, we've got a we've got a pretty great lineup of both fruits and vegetables. Have you had an, an issue with adequate labor? Labor for us has always been a challenge, and I would say it's our number one challenge, especially because where we started our specialty crop production really was in, in here in the Midwest. So we, we, you know, we're not a border state, and we didn't really have access to the type of ag workforce that many other growers have. So if you're in, in California or if you're in Texas or even, even down in Florida, you have access to a much larger ag workforce population. So over 20 years ago, we started working with the H-2A program. We started using that program to get the seasonal guest workers brought in. So at that time, the you know the growing and the harvest seasons were much shorter. So we would need you know workers for sometimes just you know 90 days, a three-month period, and they would come here legally. They would get all of their you know they would get their visa, their work permit, come here legally, do the work that needed to be done on the farm, and then be able to return to their home countries until you know the next season. Really, back then, no, not too many people were using it. We were one of you know. 20 years ago, we were one of the few farms in the country that were using it. And as labor became more and more of a challenge, more growers had to start adapting to and using the H-2A program. A lack of labor has led many in the specialty business to either move away or certainly change the directive of crops that they raise. What are the things that you would call for a change for labor from Washington? Because it seems to be an issue that we talk about what we don't solve. There's no question. It's really not that complicated of an issue to solve, which is very frustrating for me because I spent a lot of time talking to members and, and talking to professional staff over the years. And The pieces are in place to create a system by which employers are afforded access to a legal ag workforce. It seems like every time we've ever gotten close to any types of reforms to the guest worker program, which, by the way, is the only program that really is available to folks in the ag industry to to truly access a, a legalized workforce. It's a program that's laden with bureaucratic inefficiencies, but you know, it's all the same. It's, it's the only program that we have access to. So we're so we're using that, and the fixes to that. Pro- there are things that we can do to fix that program um, that don't necessarily even require blowing it up entirely. But it seems like every time we ever get close, 
to making modifications to the program, making it, you know, easier or more accessible. It always seems to get tied up into, you know, a much larger conversation around either comprehensive immigration reform, which I have been a proponent of. You know, it's just simply one of those issues that becomes hostage when trying to get other things done. You've seen people, you've seen members that are really committed to spending the time and the effort, you know, energy. They understand the issues and they have good ideas uh, and good solutions for making it better. But then ultimately, like I said, it always, agriculture always ends up becoming sort of the hostage in, you know, larger, more comprehensive um, negotiations. And then nothing gets done. Sarah, how do you, you evaluate the new USMCA agreement And while your customer is here in the U.S., are you affected by imports from south of the border? Yeah, you know, we are. It's primarily primarily the crops that are impacted the most are the crops that we grow in south Florida. For instance, this year when we started harvesting our watermelons early on, actually, during COVID, we started harvesting watermelons in LaBelle, Florida. And at that time, we had just this beautiful crop coming off you know, we felt grateful that we were actually still able to get out there and harvest because at the time, COVID was affecting our neighbors with tomato crops that were grown for food service that they were literally turning under. So we were grateful in the sense that we were able to still go harvest our crop, but the market for our crop was very depressed because of the imports, the Mexican fruit imports that were coming across the border. So a lot of the retailers, instead of making the transition over to the domestic fruit, they stayed with the import fruit much longer than probably even I think the quality should have allowed. But ultimately that that does depress our markets. And I think that nothing that ever gets done is going to be perfect, but I think that we probably also could have done a, a better job, especially on certain commodities coming out of the southeast, to negotiate a little better deal on market protections. So I would have liked to have seen market protections for melon growers built into that, you know, especially during that first domestic time period. But like I said, nothing's perfect, and, you know, we'll we'll continue to just really try to get our message out direct to consumers, which is what we've been focused on at Fry as far as helping to educate consumers on the value of buying American fruit. I think most people don't realize that over half, over 50% of all of the fruits and vegetables that we consume are imported fruits and vegetables. Now, there's nothing to say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with imported fruit. I think it's great. But when domestic fruit is available, I think if consumers are given the choice, they're going to choose to buy American. We all sort of have this fantasy in our heads of the of the small farm and the family, you know, working together on a farm to grow our food, you know, but that's really that's really not the case. And a lot of these small farms, you know, we get sort of upset when we hear about farms going out of business and, you know, small family farms being foreclosed on and struggling to make it. But if we're not, as consumers, educated in supporting those farms, we can't really... We can't really complain when they go away. So, like I said, when we have over 50% of our fruits and vegetables 
being imported, we have to ask ourselves, really, how much do we care about those small farms in America staying in business? Here's a blanket question for you. From a policy perspective, how well do you think that Washington and certainly uh, agriculture leaders in Washington understand the needs of the specialty crop producer? And if you could change policy, how would you do it? Oh, wow. Boy, I spent a lot of time. <laughs> I spent a lot of time, I feel like, trying to do my part on, uh, you know, walking the halls of Congress and, and educating people on, on our industry. I, I feel like, you know, I just kind of go back to, to labor being one of those main key issues. You know, it's really interesting because I don't know necessarily that anyone doesn't get it, doesn't understand the issue. And if there wasn't other agendas, whether it was on the Republican side or whether it was on the Democrat side, if there wasn't other agendas, I think that we would have been able to change policy as it affects ag labor years ago. I don't have a lot of hope for that in the future. I think that, you know, during this last administration, you know, they sort of, you know, they control all three branches and you know we we didn't really we didn't get the reforms that I would have liked to have seen to the H2A program and you know the previous administration had the opportunity to do that as well they didn't get it done so I still remain hopeful at some point that we can we can make policy changes but it's not something I'm spending a lot of my time on right now let's just let's put it like that so let's talk about the stereotypical mold of women in agriculture from the time that you were a little girl with your mom to the time that you were a teenager with your own truck and now that you're uh, an, an entrepreneur of the one of the largest farms uh, in the country. How is that mold changing and what are the things that that you want to to set the standard for uh, with regard to women in agriculture? Uh, recently receiving the uh, Woman in Produce Award from United Fresh? It's actually an interesting question because women have been working in agriculture, and women have been farmers for thousands of years. Because if you, you ask yourself, what is a farmer? A farmer is someone that goes out and, and either tons to the livestock or tends to the field or maybe, you know, a, what, what does a farmer do? You know, does a, does a farmer look after and care for the crops? Does a farmer do the books at night? Does a farmer drive to town and get parts for, a, you know, their equipment? What you Think about all of the little things that a farmer does. And what's interesting is that women have always been farmers. It's not like this is anything new. And me, for me personally, I never, I never really even considered my gender when it came to doing what I what I loved and and building my business. I, I, I never really you know, I never really thought about. It. But when that question was asked of me many, many years ago, it was the the thought was, well, why would you even ask that? <laughs> Who would ask that? Of course women farm. We've been farming for thousands of years. I mean, women go out and, you know, all over the world and you know, they plant fields, they work on irrigation, they harvest, they, they do these things. But I think it's actually been women who have had it sort of in our heads that, 
oh, my, well, it's my husband that's the farmer. I grew up on the farm, and my dad was the farmer. Well, no, what did you do? Did you go out there and help? Did you move equipment? Did you, you know, were, were you doing any of that work? Because if you were, then guess what? You're a farmer, too. So I think it's really... It's really a little more psychological. We just need to accept that, hey, we've been farmers all along. Nothing's new. Nothing's changed. I mean, I don't know very many women or young girls um, who grew up on farms that didn't go out there and do the same work that either their father did or that their brothers did, but they didn't consider themselves farmers. I think it really boils down to just, you know, owning it, saying, yeah, this is is what I do. We find more and more that consumers are interested in not just where their food came from, but how it's grown. But there are also trends that consumers are spending less time shopping and more into picking it up from the store or having it delivered. The fact that shopping is changing and interest is higher, what challenge or opportunity does this present for someone like yourself who produces fruits and vegetables for our consumers? I see really the direction of, you know, whether it's online um, shopping or grocery, retail grocery pickup, I actually see all of those things as as positive opportunities for for our industry. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I think COVID really pushed us forward, whereas technology is concerned, 10 to 15 years. I mean, people that would have never you know, thought to buy groceries online before or purchasing groceries online. People that never used the Walmart uh, curbside pickup uh, before, you know, got pushed into using it because of COVID. And I think really what we're going to find coming out of this is that these new habits that we've adapted are here to stay. And not only are they here to stay, we're going to find ways to make how we shop and how we deliver food to people even more efficient. That's that's not going away. Our retail habits have been forever changed. In August, a book titled The Growing Season, authored by Sarah Fry, will be offered. Congressman Rodney Davis said, if you don't cry, you haven't read the book. What did you try to accomplish by authoring this book? Well, first of all, I would say writing the book was probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. But when you read the book, you're going to be like, really, that was the hardest thing you've ever had to do? (laughs) Because I've had to do a lot of hard things in my life. But it was, you know, it was a process. It's It's a memoir. I felt like I needed to do it more than I wanted to do it. I felt like I needed to do it because I felt like I had an obligation to speak to not just young women, um, but to to any young person who, you know, might be going through very difficult circumstances and to provide some hope for them and to let them know with, you know, just some some grit and some perseverance, you can be anything that you want to be in this country. And I still believe that today. I still believe we live in, in the greatest country in the world and that no matter where you come from, what your background is, how you were raised, you could have grown up in urban poverty or rural poverty like I did, and you can still, you can still create the life that you imagine for yourself. I just hope it ends up in the, in the hands of, you know, young women, young men, really anyone. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be business or ag-related. You know, the story really applies to anyone 
going through a, a, a set of difficult circumstances and, and overcoming. Well, Sarah Fry, we celebrate your life, your career, the development of Fry Farms, and certainly your accomplishments and your work in, on behalf of United Fresh. The title of our program is Open Mic, and it is Open Mic, so Sarah, you have the last word today. Well, I just want to thank you for you know having me on today, and I, I appreciate all of the great questions and you know, I appreciate the time your audience spends listening uh, to the program, and I'm happy to I'm happy to share my story through the growing season. I hope that everyone takes this opportunity or takes the opportunity to pre-order the book on Amazon or at Walmart.com, and you know, celebrate the growing season with me, especially this year. I think we could all use a I think we could all use a shot in the arm and a, a little pick me up and enjoy the, those successes as they come. I hope that that I can in, inspire some future leaders. Our thanks to Sarah Fry, President and CEO of Fry Farms, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance, an appreciation of the essential work performed every single day by farmers, ranchers and everyone across the agriculture supply chain. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.